Hello and welcome to episode 167 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and I am joined here by one veteran, one semi-veteran, and one newcomer to Retro Encounter. Uh, and in order, those are first Peter Treisenberg. New, 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 Hi, everybody. Yeah, I think that was the Game of Thrones theme. But it, it, was, was, an, it was an attempt. Okay, but it, it was composed in news, so I'm not really sure what to make of that. It's a very interesting timbre, very interesting sound library, Peter. I, I go with what I know. All right. And uh, joining Peter and I is Greg Delmage. Hi. And I guess I'll keep the thing going. Mew. Mew, 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 mew. Mew, 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 mew. Mew, 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 Okay, that was supposed to be Legend of Zelda done in news, I think. But I, I did not yep. realize this was a name that tune episode. Uh, listeners, this is not sure a name is. that tune. This is not a name that tune episode yet. But um, okay. Uh, and joining <laughs> Greg, Peter, and I is Trent Argarov. Uh, I guess I should keep the thing going. Uh, okay, you're either practicing your scales or doing the Final Fantasy prelude. In Muse. Bingo. Okay, I got it. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Right. How are you doing? Um, Today's winner is Mike Solosi. Okay. And I, I guess, is, is it my turn? Do I, do I have to do a name that tune special as well? <laughs> yeah, do, do it. Do now. Okay, um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> no one knows that one? It's impressive, nope. and it's sounding familiar, Ooh. and I can't think of what the hell it is. That's one net from Earthbound, I done extremely poorly. Thank you. Oh. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. I was like, I know I know this. It's all right. I didn't, I didn't play Earthbound. <laughs> but that was some impressive Peter. beatboxing that I didn't know you could do. I, I'm, 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 I'm not, I, that was bad beatboxing. If I had practice, I promise it would be better. But today well. is not a Name That Tune episode. Today we are here to discuss RPG battle systems and combat. It was an idea that uh, has been floating around our big design document for a few months now. Uh, the episode was a little hard to schedule, a little hard to fit in. The uh, Things were popping up and popping out. But we're finally ready to record it. It's a very broad topic that all of us have a lot to say about, I'm sure. Just because between the four of us, I am certain we've played 100 RPGs that are all unique and different in their own way, especially when you engage in action. <laughs> action. Action. I don't, I don't know what action that's supposed to be. Was that a, I guess I'm just, my East Coast is showing. But, um, Trent, as the, uh, as the, our first time retro encounter panelist, um, let's have you give us the first topic. What's a, either a battle hmm. system or an RPG series with interesting combat that you think is worth discussing? Okay, well, right off the top of the, Right on top of my head, we can open the can of worms that is the seminal GRPG series, uh, Final Fantasy, comprised of many battle systems over many titles and spin-offs. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, what are what are some of the systems in that series that you like or dislike? Me personally, I'm quite partial to the active time battle system uh, in Final Fantasy and tw- Final Fantasy IV. I feel like it sets a nice, uh, wonderful pace that dictates the flow of battle, kind of similar to, and it's an odd allegory, similar to kind of like um, NASCAR like or Formula One race car driving, where all of these cars are like passing over one and another and kind of, uh, what's the word, it does laps around and you kind of just loop and loop. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. How about you guys? 
I, I'm also a big fan of the ATB. That was done for uh, Final mm-hmm. Fantasy 4 through 9, as well as a handful mm-hmm. of other uh, um, games developed by Square around that time, including Chrono Trigger. You hit the nail on the head. It's, it's still navigating menus, and you're, you're not um, you're, you're not doing uh, immediate feedback like a, a like a, a button for a spell casting or a button for a sword swinging. But mm-hmm. uh, like the, the the character's speed stats will determine turn order and turn frequency, and the enemies are acting using their own ATBs at the same time the player is using them. And I, I think mm-hmm. uh, um, I'm, I, I don't know about every single release. Like a, I don't have a Super Famicom handy to check what you know uh, SNES FF5 was like. But I think you could mm-hmm. set the battle speed for most of those. Oh wow! Sounds right. Um, I, I know yeah. you could for the for the later ones, and you can for the remakes of FF4, 5, and 6, but that, that's also a fair way to um, establish difficulty. If you want to ratchet up the battle speed a lot, then mm-hmm. enemies will uh, will then the meters will move more quickly, and enemies will act instantly. So enemies usually setting that speed means battles go faster, and enemies get more turns. So mm-hmm. I always it definitely re- reduces the tactics a bit. If you slow it way the hell down, it um. It, it it usually gives the players more turns, so it's you have less time to really um, suss out your tactics for the fight. But all but also I, th- I think especially for the um, like the DSFF4 might be the worst culprit because um, the, the battle speed will it's like almost setting easy mode to hard mode by setting to the by setting the battle speed in that game. It's a way of keeping it turn based, but also increasing risk and not making and uh, and keeping players engaged beyond just deciding what to do every turn. Because Final Fantasy one through three weren't meaningfully different from Dragon Quest one through uh, one through everything <laughs> in, 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 in basic <laughs> or, uh, or I should say one through nine because because uh, eleven did change turn order a little bit. In, but but in Final Fantasy one through three, uh, you do uh, choose your entire party's action and then the party and enemy act and then you repeat. So the active time battle system is versatile and interesting, and was, mm. and because those ga- uh, those games were released in a lot of territories, and not just, uh, I think, although I think Europe and Australia got seven firsts out of those, if I'm not mistaken. Really, those were a bit of a standard for RPG players in the '90s and early 2000s. I'm just grateful with how it iterated. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that it, they made the iteration from three to four for sure. But after nine, uh. I don't know. I think they they only really did it for one game. But Peter, how about that FF10 battle system? I, I yeah, I was gonna say the FF10 battle system is probably my favorite turn-based system ever. Like it's the benchmark for me. Um, so uh, Final Fantasy X's battle system, which is also apparently known as the conditional turn-based system. Okay. Um, it's uh, it's kind of like the Final Fantasy one through three battle system, where um, turn order is determined by and large, by agility, but um, by the character's agility. But what makes 10 so interesting is there's a turn order that is always visible to the player, and certain abilities the player has um, will allow them to manipulate the turn order. So, um, and you can swap party members out at any time to take advantage of this. The enemy can do the same thing to you, and you can see when the enemy's turns are coming up. It lets you... It adds an added element of strategy to the game where you kind of prepare in advance for uh for what the enemy's about to do and it's just it's just it's such an elegant clever little battle system that creates these really fantastic kind of puzzle like boss encounters where you have to do all these different things to get through the fights and they take full advantage of your character's ability pools i just 
yeah, I could gush. Tens, tens battles. Is gonna, it's, well, it really <laughs> teaches you to weigh your consequences of your actions and such, which yeah, is the nice part about it. Because so much of these things, you know, uh, Rosa pulling a boat compared to Cecil brandishing a sword, both these things more or less happen at the same time, barring agility scores and such like that. But like the actual motions themselves, one is a lot more exhausting than the other kind of in general. So when you have more modern systems like 10, taking it and making these different abilities take more time and really have you having you wait like, Ooh, do I really want to lay down this big beat down? That's going to, that you're going to maybe get a hit or two in before I can do it. Or do I want to do a bunch of quick jabs kind of thing? Right. Yeah. Like Titus's quick hit ability can let him get an extra turn in to do more damage. Um, you can, you can kind of manipulate the turn order a bit with Eunice summons with uh, Oren's attacks can give different debuffs that you can, so you can set up an attack later. It's just, it's, and it makes slow and haste matter a lot too. Yeah, yeah. Hate, haste oh. is very important, and getting hit with a slow status in ten can really screw you up. Um, it makes status ailments in general. Like um, if a character gets like turned to stone, uh, or uh, the Unalesca fight uh, is one I always think of. Where Gross. the Unalesca fight and the, and the third and the third Seymour fight have you you know, like require the player to solve the puzzle of the zombie status in really interesting ways. Yeah, hope you uh, hope you you're keeping an eye on how much damage you're doing to her. Because if you're not a zombie, when that third phase hits, you you just die. <laughs> you're just done. Yeah, um, I, I don't love describing uh, games in terms of other games. I'm going to do that a bunch of times in a row right now. So get ready. Uh, <laughs> Final Fantasy X is like Final Fantasy Tactics in that it weighs speed stats and charge stats against each other. For Final Fantasy Tactics, basically there's a clock tick, and every time the the clock ticks, everyone's meter goes up by their speed value, and once they hit 100, they get a turn. And the same thing works for char- for charge times for spells. And for the Gra- and also the Grandia uh, video games, two of which came out before FF10, uh, turn order is very important as everyone's moving along this sort of action meter. And then... Uh, and Depending on their speed, they go they go to the end of the meter more quickly and can act more quickly. And you can you know use attacks to knock enemies down the meter or or stun enemies when they're about to make a move. That's uh, which is an awesome battle system that we might touch on a little bit soon. And and also uh, the Radiant Historia combat system does the same thing where it it tells you the future turn orders for the next several moves. Um, Persona Two does that as well. And and uh, in Persona Two, you can get your characters to act together. Or even delay their own turns to do to do sort of dual text. Another thing we might get to in a few minutes. But FF10 takes those similar elements in the fastest moving version of those because, uh, except for some summons and and uh, and uh, over limits. Uh, or, I'm sorry, overdrives. Yeah, over- yeah, overdrives. Yeah, overdrives. Right. Yeah, over, over limit is FF uh, is FF12, I think. But um, except for a few of those moves, the animations in FF10 are quick. And yeah. And um and it's very very smooth on the turn order. You'll see like how the turn order is affected by any move that you choose. So it's those three or four disparate battle systems I mentioned are either slower or communicate less, or or, or just or, or just aren't as good looking as FF10s. FF10 is a turn based system. You can put down the controller and make a sandwich and go back to the game and it won't affect anything. But it. It, it it um it, it adds risk and it and creates the uh, an amount of of advanced planning, and gives you a ton of options since every since there's like a thousand moves for all of your characters to learn. That is uh, I don't want to say unsurpassed in a Final Fantasy game, but is what was real freaking good in two thousand and one. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, to spin off yeah. that too is that um, 
uh, which my review will go up eventually for, but Battle Chasers Night War, I found, took that system as well. Uh, like, Peter, if you enjoyed the FF10 battle system, they definitely took the note from it and made a system. I feel it's almost, it doesn't feel quite as seamless as 10s, but it's still like you get to see the full chart of the initiative order. Each action has uh, like a speed to it as how long it's going to take you. And then the same thing, like you can see an enemy will do a great big hit on you. But after that, like you get to get your turns walloping them as they kind of recover from doing this big damage attack kind of thing. And then there's a few other ones that can be instantaneous super moves that can be interrupting anything every once in a while as they charge up. But it definitely feels very visceral and very active, even though it is, like uh, Slosi said, the kind of thing you can just sit down and walk away from for a moment and come back because it is still a turn-based system. But it just adds so much action and momentum, I guess, to the battle. Night Wars, Night War, I was going to say, Night Wars on my list for sure because uh, it combines two of my favorite things, which is Final Fantasy X and, and uh, Joe Madariera's art style. <laughs> yep. Same for me too, yeah. I'm really excited to give that a, a, a good college old try. But um, yeah. uh, uh, Trent, I know you, you probably you haven't played as many Final Fantasy games as I have, but uh, 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 three, I think, off the top of my head. Oh yikes! Yeah. But um, uh, what do you feel of the transition between um active time battle and the condition? Con- what is it? Conditional turn battle. Peter? Yeah, yeah, conditional turn base. Yeah, conditional turn base. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be that pedantic no, about no, it. No. <laughs> and if we start talking about tales of battle systems later, there's no way in hell I'll be able to get those names straight. So just just throw that out right now. Fusionic chain. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we uh, uh, listeners, we had a, a good laugh at looking at a list of tales of battle systems before we began recording. Sounds like a Yu-Gi-Oh card. <laughs> but, uh, Acronyms of um, like six letters or more for every single one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Trent, um, what do you feel about Final Fantasy going from turn-based to active time, back to turn-based, and then to whatever FF12 is? <sighs> um, I don't have uh, as much experience considering that I haven't played Final Fantasy X for the conditional uh, battles turn by app conditional turn-based system um but uh from what you guys are saying i feel like uh, uh linking into the the difficulty of changing it from uh just uh, uh auto like pause to um uh like the the uh both people acting at the same time um in terms of difficulty i think that uh it adds a certain layer of I, I want to say um, it adds a certain layer of uh, kind of immediacy uh, that I think adds uh, the illusion or the reality that you're facing against uh, terrible and great opponents. Like there's no breaks in between it. How I feel like that uh, changes, at least from what you're saying, into a paradigm of uh, like an extra layer of depth and strategy for mm-hmm. Final Fantasy X. Um, I, as having not played it, I don't have a, a full amount of experience, but I feel like what you're saying is a refinement in a way that allows for, uh, to have the idea of, uh, strategy and the idea of, um, hmm. No, 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 I, I, no, I, th- I think, yeah. you, you know, you, um, even though you haven't played FF10, I think you have basically hit it on the head going from yeah. FF9 to 10, you're trading, um, more urgency for more experimentation and planning. Yeah, and, and um, I feel like 
it harkens back to uh, Final Fantasy Tactics in a certain sense, uh, a, a game that I have played. Uh, I uh, Final Fantasy Tactics yeah. in the sense that you allow a certain sense of, as you say, uh, experimentation and a little bit more freedom in the way that you approach battles um, that uh, the previous iterations of Final Fantasy didn't necessarily allow for. They were both still great battle systems and cooked uh, well, but from what you're saying, um, and Oddly enough, Final Fantasy X reminds me it's a tangent, and as you were saying, comparative uh, comparing other games to other games is. But... I, I think it's a little intellectually lazy, but sometimes it's yeah. a, sometimes it's you a useful it strategy. To... <laughs> um, the idea of uh, a game called Child of Light. Um, oh yeah. A yeah, Child of Light, uh, uh, a UbiArts um, turn-based RPG in the style of Grandia. They only uh, made they only made uh, three UbiArts game, but we uh, games, but we did do two episodes on Child of Light uh, about a year and a half ago or so, maybe two years. Oh ago. really? Yeah. Huh. Yep. Um, um, jo- Josh, a... Chris, and I did those. Oh, awesome! It's a it's a fascinating uh, it's a fascinating. Uh, uh, I guess it's in in a similar vein. The idea of um, juxtaposing and changing turn order is something that also happens in Child of Light, um, though that's more based on positioning. I feel like Final yeah, Fantasy yep. Ten allowed for. It opened the gate, I guess, for more games to be able to see that and to look at that and go, oh, this is something that we can do and change and innovate upon uh, in other series, as, as you were saying, for uh, Battle Chasers Night War, Greg, and um, other iterations in the franchise. I think it just really opened up the complexity and depth that other companies, other franchises, and other developers could look at it and say, huh, this is something that we should try to work with and innovate from. It's and- a good keystone reference yeah as long as you're not dragon quest it's just the same all the time ever i think obviously 10 came out during the time when square was still a trend setter instead of a trend chaser um uh, yeah which is uh yeah, i feel like there's kind of a clear divide pretty much at final fantasy 10 and the square enix mm. Burger, where the company mm. like goes from being the company that's is that set the gold standard for this is what the JRPG is and all the other companies were mimicking them to now we're expanching out and trying what other companies did and trying to put our own spin on it, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I just think, I think, um, I I think it's unfair to characterize the entirety of square or square Enix as trend setters versus trend chasers. Uh, and, and people like, uh, to blame the merger for the downfall of square and, and, uh, and, that is that is completely wrong and if you believe that you're an idiot i, um, I understand that i am oversimplifying yeah. a little bit but <laughs> i'm trying to i'm trying i'm not saying that this is like a hardcore fact or anything but it's more like i don't know it's an observation because you look at a game like like ff12 after 10 12 was like kind of it took a lot of inspiration from mmorpgs and created kind of a a pseudo real-time active dimension battle system that was kind of that was also took the it took the ATB mechanics and kind of put it into a new skin. You have uh, the a command. Great skin. Yeah, I know. Twelve battle system is really good, and it's even better in Zodiac Age now that they fixed it. Um, Absolutely. Let me uh, get that and switch. It's for sure, and then like the but then like thirteen comes out, and thirteen love it or hate it. It has a pretty good combat system that really lets you. You have to be. You kind of have to have an itchy trigger figure and plan out your character's roles ahead of time, and and mm-hmm. you know, and really, and battles again have this kind of puzzle element 
where you have to like make sure you have the right setup for the fight. And then you come all the way finally to 15 and it's uh, active cross battle, which I assume is referring to the fact that all your, the combat is matched to the four uh, fi- uh, di- uh, directional pad buttons. Mm. And then like, and that combat system is, it's a simple action combat where you hold down a button to auto attack and hold down a button to auto defend. But the attacks that Noctis will do is determined by the weapons equipped, your position relative to the enemy and your party members. But but you get what it's it's based on positioning, timing, um, the weapons you have equipped, and, oh, and what direction you're holding the sticks will yes. change what kinds of attacks are moved done in fifteen. So there, and it's a it's a simple system that's easy to come to terms with, but has a lot of hidden depth. Um, and mm. that got even more in depth. More than they, I probably exploited. <laughs> yeah. Once once mm. once they add they patched in the playable party members and they all have wildly different combat systems. Like Prompto's plays a shooter. Ignis has these elemental specific daggers and is like lightning fast and has huge AoE attacks. A Gladio mm. is a big beefy boy with a big beefy sword. It's like mm. it's like they all have different combat styles and it's super great and super varied. Um I just I, I love the fact that Square experiments with their battle systems. So don't get me wrong; like I'm not trying to be like, "Oh, everything sucks after the Square Enix merger." I've heard I'm that. Just... I've heard that argument too often to give it any any an ounce of time at all. Oh, it's it's not it's not it is utter nonsense because I think that Square does a lot of really interesting things with their games. Yeah, they're um, they're yeah, always I mean, they're, they're always trying that. they're always trying to break some kind of mold with every new Final Fantasy game and. For a while, when it was the most popular RPG series in the world, and it might still be, um, they—I they, would say—they were succeeding with that. But mm. um, and, and th- th- there's a lot of good in the different um, combat systems in the later Final Fantasy games. I mean, I mean, uh, Peter, you—you would know better than me. Doesn't um, each iteration of Final Fantasy thirteen basically remake the battle system almost? Thirteen uh, two uh, has the same the command synergy system with the paradigm shifts, but thirteen two uh, fixes a lot of little kinks um, and also adds in like playable monster characters that right. add variety. And yeah. then, uh, do then the monsters use use the same class system that the human characters use? They do, yeah. yeah oh, they okay. do. Huh. It's, it's, so basically, each monster in thirteen two this is a weird tangent, but each monster has its own like set class and set of abilities. And you plug one into one of your paradigm loadouts. So in that one, you have two permanent party members and one monster you can swap out um, with each of your paradigm loadouts. It, it, it adds that another X layer of strategy. Um, plus, they fix the way abilities load, so it's um, so you don't so you don't keep getting abilities canceled for no good reason, like in the original mm. thirteen. Um, yeah, which is a bit of a frustration. Uh, one of the marring points of that battle system, yeah. They were they were still figuring it out, but um, and then like yeah. so, so unlike unlike Child of Light, which is really just an appropriation of the Grandia system, uh, uh cancel mm. canceling moves is less a feature and more of a and more of a bug in yeah, it, 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 yeah, it, it, yeah. Sometimes things just don't work in the in that com- in the first version of that system, and there could be like but, the like difference between victory and defeat in Final Fantasy Thirteen specifically for some of the boss battles and the later fights that you have just with general mooks and general and anim- like enemies that are out in the wild. Those that could be a bit frustrating, yeah. But once you get to thirteen two, it's 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 like all hunky dory and, and honestly, line, yeah. Honestly, I think Lightning Returns this system is is I think Lightning Returns in general is like super underrated. Like it's it the story is is absolute nonsense, but the game is great 
and you kind of have to just admire the batshit craziness of it all. Um, but um, they they took the dress sphere system from Ten Two, which is already kind of a pro- <laughs> which which was already kind of a prototype of the of the thirteen battle system, and they combined the two. So now you switch Lightning's outfit to to give her new superpowers, and it's great. It's like it's like dress up the RPG, and I love yeah, it. Yeah, it, you really are dressing up paper dolls in FF Ten Two. But uh, but the issue with that game, or the issues I have with that game, are not related to combat or menus. I think both of those that were you know, interesting at, uh, and and you know, pretty good at least. I, I didn't I didn't get terribly far in ten two, but hmm. uh, I've always been curious about it for the because I love me some job system related stuff and the dress the, the just kind of seems like an expounding on that. Not, yeah, not job- really, not really an expansion, but it, but just a, a a good version of the uh, of a Final Fantasy class <laughs> system. But gotcha. Lightning Return, but Lightning Returns is is better because you can change the the colors of your clothes based on like a really like you have like a hue palette you can choose from. That automatically makes it better. I don't make the rules; I just enforce them. <laughs> but I, as I was saying about iteration and stuff, like I'm glad that they were trying new things with each combat system. Even though they were still sticking to active time battle, they always had different mechanics <clears throat> to introduce into each battle system. I mean, most importantly, after the first one, is the fact like um, I'm glad they improved it in the the remakes. But just how in like Final Fantasy NES. If you had already planned to hit someone and they died, you would attack empty space, and that was the worst. So I'm glad they they, yeah, they I th- tweaked I think, that moving forward. Yeah, I think all three of the NES ones did that. I mean, maybe in oh, shoot, oh maybe, did they? Okay. Yeah, maybe in, I maybe in, in, in two. Yeah, I I played them on a uh, I played translated ROMs of two and three, and I don't. I think you still either missed or instead of attacking the next enemy, they would defend if the if their target vanished. But that, that's that's really, slightly more useful at least. Yeah, that's really an artifact of some RPGs from the '80s and early '90s. If if that happens re- in the past ten years, then it, then it's a uh, they'll they'll get reamed for that. Um, well, yeah, that's just mm, poor programming at but, that yeah, point. But the, uh, it was just a funny thing. You're like, well, well, all right. <laughs> And I guess it's just kind of speaking to that a whole idea is that basically, even though this is a, a turn-based thing, all this action is happening at once. So your foe gets felled while you're mid-swing. You're like, well, that is what it is. It's not like you have a minute to pause and watch what everybody else does. It's kind of when you play the, the cinema out of it all in your mind, it makes sense. But in mechanically, it's frustrating. Oh, one point, actually, I wanted to make... This is, actually, this is going back a little bit, but there was a point I wanted to make about... Uh, not just tens battle Final Fantasy tens battle system, but the the later Final Fantasies in general. Um, one thing I think that RPGs got better at as time went on, especially nowadays, is re- recognizing and respecting the player's time. This is something oh, Dragon yeah. Quest. This is something Dragon Quest Eleven does really well, actually. Um, to uh, to bring up a more recent example, because you look back at like the dawn of three D gaming, and a lot of developers are trying to experiment with how to make their games work in 3D. Well, you look at the early Final Fantasies. Final Fantasy VII is really zippy and really fast, but once they get around to eight, you have stuff like the battle basically pauses to let the animations play out. Yeah, yeah. GF animations were a uh, are terrible in FF8, and there's the the boost ability allows some active gameplay during those lengthy animations by you know mashing the button to make the uh, and and then pausing. To uh um to have the damage output of the summon go up, but in FF eight or nine, I think two major weaknesses of those games are very lengthy animations for certain attacks. Um, FF seven is uh faster than eight or nine, but but still, 
I, I don't There's know. Still like, around. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, um, ten feels quick in a way that is uh, was I think very forward thinking. Only a handful of the most spectacular moves um, go that way in in ten, and they can't be done every every battle the way GFs can in eight. And yeah, uh, wasn't but, but, there one that you could skip that animation in eight? Uh, not in eight, but just in one of the Final Fantasies when we were trying to get to those ridiculous. In nine, in nine, stuff. in nine, you can. In nine, there's a fast That's animation, and there's a fast animation and a full animation for every summon. But uh, right. but there there was still a lot of attacks that took way too damn long in nine. Yeah, and in ten, in not in ten, in eight, like there's stuff like uh, like when the AT when you select just a basic attack from Squall, you have to wait for him to lift his gun blade up to do the attack. Like just little animation quirks like that. Yeah, um, which is neat. They're trying to give character and flesh it out, I get. But yeah, as you said, it doesn't respect player time near as it much. Adds up, it adds up to a lot of to a lot yep. of wasted seconds, which in the moment might yeah. not feel bad. But when you add it up over the course of a 40-hour game, it's like you've got a chunk of time that where you're not really doing anything. Um, no. um, I, I think there, it's almost a platonic ideal that FF10 hits. But if you have a turn-based system that feels fast-moving... That is the ideal, and um, mm-hmm. and doing just having just having animations be brisk and menus sensible help that a lot. I, I think Persona Five does a brilliant version of it, since you um you go from menu to menu with just a, just a few button presses on all the on the face of the controller, and and attacks are fast in that one. Uh, I, I think Disgaea One. Um, was a game changer in that, well, I should say Disgaea 1 to 2 was, because in Disgaea 1 you could not turn off any battle animations, and they get insane in that game. But every Disgaea after 1 allow you to switch animations on and off, which is, which you know, I don't think I would have been able to play as much Disgaea as I have in my career without, without that feature. So, yeah, again, turn-based uh, combat can be tedious if it's... um. If it has niggles like uh, like missed attacks from disappearing targets or overlong animations, but if one feels brisk and feels like you can strategize and plan ahead of time, that's getting the best out of uh, turn-based and um, w- you know while still being an entertaining video game. But I think we need to move on from Final Fantasy because we've been talking about it for thirty solid minutes. Oh wow. It's big well, series. There's a lot of matter to cover. <laughs> yeah, big Again, series. Again, I, I think I, I said this at the beginning of the episode. I would not be opposed to making this two podcasts, but we'll see how far we get. Uh, yeah, um, so many finagly little mechanics too, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, Greg, do you have a suggestion for a topic for um, regarding battle systems that is not in the realm of Square Enix or Square Enix? Uh, <laughs> Square Enix or Square Enix? Square Enix. Uh, well, Square, that's, comma, uh, Enix, that's comma, one, or Square Enix. For myself, with the exception of Battle Chasers, a lot of my MMORPG, or MMORPG, a lot of my RPG gaming has mostly been from the Square base for such a long time. Uh, however, I can speak to um, what I really enjoyed, uh, touching briefly into Squaresoft, what they established with... Um, uh, Mario RPG and Legend of the Seven Stars, and then moving into the Paper Mario games and the um, and the Mario Superstar st- Saga games, where you have reactions in combat to make the battles that much more interesting and engaging. So yeah. you're having to time your hits to get extra attacks in, extra criticals in, that sort of thing. Yep, timed button presses for. Um, uh, I don't know what the first game to do it was, but uh, but Mario RPG is 
a very early example. Um, every I think attack, it was my first one for me, at least. Uh, it, I, 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 I can't think of an earlier one, so it, it may be that way. But uh, mm. in, in most of those games, uh, pressing the attack button at the proper time will allow for critical hits. Spell buttons will almost have mini-games customized to each attack to determine their damage and effect. And usually there's a button press for a just-defend moment, where pressing... Yeah. Um, it, it's B in Super Mario RPG, but it's probably different in other games. Yeah, Mario and Luigi gets really clever in, with that because you have A for Mario, B for Luigi for for every and, single action. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then, and then, in combat, you have to kind of have to play that game with the attacks. It's it's pretty, it's really fun and engaging. And even in the, it, it gets different for each uh, Mario and Luigi game. But the special attacks where the brothers combine their powers um, will have to be pressing A and B at very specific points in very specific ways. But it's still always A for uh, B for Mario, A for Luigi. <laughs> Um, oh, and uh, it, it gets it gets real it gets real weird in uh maybe one maybe my least favorite one in Partners in Time when you have uh, each each uh, Mario and Luigi with Baby Mario and Baby Luigi riding piggyback and oh, so God. you have to you have to press A B X and Y each kind of corresponds to a different character each one each one defends against a certain kind of attack. <laughs> oh, interesting strategy, but yeah, also, so, yeah, yeah, it sounds tedious. Yeah, so <laughs> if, if you have to block attacks with hammers, you got to press the baby buttons. If you pr- got to block attacks with uh, with jumping or dodge attacks with jumping, you have to press the brother buttons. It, get, it gets real complicated in that one, but... Uh, there, was but, a, there, but was, there was a subset of the, of the fan base that was wondering why Partners in Time you got, didn't get a remake when Bowser's Inside Story did, and I'm just like, have, um, you, played, have you played Partners in Time recently? <laughs> yeah, Partners in Time got so complicated that I got stressed out during some of the later boss battles, but I still hold up that one of the best boss battles in the whole series is uh, the four main characters versus Bowser and Baby Bowser. Is yeah. pretty pretty great that like is, the, i agree uh, but uh but still that that game um took the very excellent ideas of mario rpg paper mario superstar saga and then overcomplicated them and then they they brought things back down to earth a little bit with bowser's inside story for another one that was uh, a, a really excellent entry but yeah t- um timed timed hits in combat is a way um to make I think is a really successful tactic a lot of the time. A lot of time, um, uh, Peter, were you on the recent Shadow Hearts episode? I was, yeah. Um, so you want you want to talk about some timed hits? I mean, holy crap! Yeah, Shadow Hearts and Shadow Hearts. Cover. The Judgment Ring is such a good system. Um, uh, I played Shadow Hearts for the first time on the Shadow Hearts podcast, and uh, basically, yeah, that game has the Judgment Ring, which is a system where each action the character performs, you have to perform a series of timed hits. Um, on a little circular icon that appears that with an arrow spinning around and you have to land it when the arrow hit, is in the green sections. And if you get it just right, um, the, t- the timing perfect, you'll do even more, you'll do more damage or heal extra or, um, or so on and so forth. So it leads to this great risk reward thing where, okay, you can land the hit safely in the green zone well in advance of the critical mark and you will perform the action, but do you want to risk it and try and get some extra, some extra oomph or some extra heal power or or extra hits in? Like, there's like a there are items where like you can you can do an attack that gives you like seven hits and do a lot of damage at once, but you got to get the timing down. Yeah, there's there's items that will speed up or slow down movement on the ring, making it harder or easier for boosts. There yeah, are there are items that uh, yeah. that even make uh, maybe this isn't in the first one because I've only played Shadow Hearts Covenant. There's ones that make um the judgment ring blind where you have to do the ju- the character's judgment ring but with, a, 
That's yeah, but, the first. Okay, it is, but but without seeing it, but you get a um, but you get much higher damage bonuses. Um, and that sounds terrifying. And Peter, what happens yeah. when you what happens when you try to get a discount in a shop, Peter? Yeah, when you try to get a, you can try you can try and haggle with shops basically to get lower things, to get lower prices on items. Uh. But you got to do the judgment ring right, and and later yes. in the game, later in the game, the more shopkeepers you talk to and collect their little guild cards, um you can stack for multiple discounts, but if you screw up the timing and the timing gets faster with each discount you try for, if you screw it up, you have to pay the full price. So it's, you, again, risk versus reward. You will never look at a compass rose, a roulette table, or the television show Wheel of Fortune the same way ever again after playing Kingdom Heart, after playing Shadow Hearts. <laughs> wrong hearts. Oh my wrong, God. Wrong hearts. I, this, I, is the, this is the other heart. Yeah, the other hearts. hearts. Um, the hearts that we haven't ta- that we haven't had dedicated podcast podcast episodes on yet. Um, but but yeah, time. Uh, one other game that uses timed hits pretty well is uh, there's only two of these, but I've played both, and that's the South Park RPGs. <laughs> stick oh of, yeah, yeah, stick of oh tr- yeah, yeah, stick of truth and uh, the, the 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 fractured but whole, and both of those games have a variety. It's basically like the Mario RPGs. Um, every attack is sort of a mini game that uh, where you get the most out of the attack by pressing buttons in certain patterns, and uh, um, and you can also just defend to reduce damage. It's a little bit more forgiving in the second one than the first one, but the second one also has way more characters and more uh, and more options. But um, the, the, those games that you know they're extremely Puerile, they're extremely South Park. Um, and that, and I think that has more. That will influence how much you like the games more than the timed button presses will. But uh, mm. they, they, they both they both use very competent versions of that timed of a, a timed hits turn based battle system. Maybe not as stylish as Mario or Shadow Hearts though, because I mean one of those is freaking Mario and the other one is a, is one of the better Gothic RPG designs ever made. <laughs> It sounds like, um, with the points that you're bringing up for both Shadow Hearts and the Mario RPG, that um, the time-based like uh, uh, systems, it sounds like they're like really tactilely satisfying more than anything. Uh, like it adds a certain layer of um, it registers in your brain. Like when you when you uh, successfully directly do that input, um, it's rewarded in the game, and it sounds like. Adding that to an RPG just makes it, I guess, all the more satisfying to play. That sounds really interesting, just in general, um, to know that that's there on the table and that's a reward that you can achieve as long as it's based on you. That's that's fascinating, yeah. Yeah, it, it just gives the players an extra level of engagement um, in yeah in, engagement. in, in the in the, word, uh, yeah. in in the gameplay loop of and mm. when I say gameplay loop, I mean something that a player repeats uh, over and over the course of a game. Yeah, like like, like you know like yeah, the basic theory. yeah like the basics of combat in an RPG. It, it mm. by a- adding an extra layer of engagement to the gameplay loop in those games makes um, combat feel like less of a chore and. Uh, and, yeah. and, and um, those, it, it usually won't make it fast, feel fast moving like you know, like a Persona Five or a Final Fantasy X. But it does at least give you yeah. the player extra stuff to do. But sometimes it goes a little too far. Uh, there, there's a, a, a PS1 RPG that I used to like, but I don't think I ever ever want to replay, and that's uh, Legend of Dragoon. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, didn't that have? I was going to bring that up because I think it had some active. Oh, it does. Input. Every single action in the game, other than use, uh, including I think using items, um, has active input. You basically have to play a Guitar Hero song every single every single fight, and if, <laughs> when you add that to um, the random encounter rate being a little too high, 
and the game being fairly lengthy already. It's I mean it's four discs on a PS One. I I think that you know takes um, timed hits a little too far. I I wish that game had fewer mm-hmm. timed hits. Everybody has Savin's Blitz. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, well, that would be much better, honestly. God, if, if everything if everything was a fighting game input like Blitz, that would I would love that. Like, like people were complaining about the um, the fighting game, mini game in Persona Five being too hard. Those like I, I I beat all of those in the first try. It's like oh man, that playing terrible SNK games for a decade prepared me for this moment. But yeah, but Legend of Dragoon, yeah, Legend of Dragoon, not a bad game, a very cool game in a lot of ways, but. Too many timed hits made everything feel tedious. it made everything feel way too slow, and I, I think that's the dark side okay. of, of of a timed hits battle system. <laughs> the one thing I did want to speak also to the credit of um, the Mario sagas of uh, various games uh, for their act uh, sorry timed hits and such is the added element of strategy that also goes into initiating the fights. And timing your hits to try and land on enemies so you can start oh, yeah. the battle getting a hit and getting the upper hand. I love that aspect of those games um, that was giving not- you an advantage for manipulating those mechanics. Yeah, that was not true of Mario RPG, but from Paper no. Mario from Paper R Mario onward they did do that. And it was yeah. and it was excellent. Um Maybe uh, I can't think of anything else outside of that that does that sort of thing. Oh oh well I mean there's uh there's basic sword strikes from uh from every uh from every from persona 3 onwards um you can do a, a in, get an initial hit on an enemy by striking them with your weapon oh cool um dragon I've quest never personas, so. dragon quest 11 does that but the older dragon quest games do not uh they, I'm, I'm sure there's more that i'm not that i'm not thinking of yeah but um, i'm sure there's some out there but yeah they, they're not exclusive to it but it's just it's a really nice element of adding to that strategy because you can even still try and get the extra time hit when you're in there as well yeah, but it's it's pretty common at least the past fifteen years for like uh, getting an option for the the lead character getting a sword strike to initiate combat for an extra damp for an extra few points of damage. Um, I think the shoot. I think most of the Breath of Fire games do that, but maybe not all of them. I cannot remember now. It's been a while since I played three and four, uh, uh, which are the only two I have played. And no, well, I've played no, one the, two. The, the, the older the older ones have uh, random battles. It might be just the later the last couple. Gotcha. I'm, I mean, Battle Chasers also has where you can interact with enemies on the field in dungeons, and you can initiate uh, battles where they have status effects on them and such, and sometimes some damage, depending on which uh, dungeon ability you use. But it's not quite to the the Mario mechanics of actually jumping on the enemies. It's just nice that they brought also introduced, yeah, I guess, the, the classic Mario mechanic into it and made it useful in combat. All right, so timed hits. There's a lot to talk about there. Uh... Let's see, uh, Peter. Um, what, what's an, what's another game or game topic that you think we should uh, bring up regarding ba- uh, battle systems for this episode? Well, um, okay. Well, we can. I think one thing we'd be good to talk about uh, is another phenomenal turn-based system. This is one. Uh, this is one that that's been really popular in among RPG circles recent, especially recently, is which is the press turn system that was introduced in Shin Megami Tensei Three Nocturne. And uh, later refined in uh, the Persona series with the Once More system. Uh, right. Uh, would anyone anyone care to elaborate on uh, on this particular topic? Okay. Um, now they handle it slightly differently from in Nocturne, Digital Devil Saga, and Persona. And Persona Five does it pretty meaningfully differently from Persona Three and Four. Uh, but basically, uh, whenever a character does an action, if they score a critical hit or if they hit an enemy with their weak point, then they get a bonus turn. 
and then the and every character has an opportunity to get one more bonus turn. So like in, in Digital Devil Saga, you have three characters on the screen at once. You can't get bonus turns forever. You each character has a shot to get one bonus turn, if that makes sense. And so the, if you uh, hit with only critical hits or weakness hits in one round, then you get then you get six moves. But conversely. If you're if you attack if you hit the enemy and there's no effect like if you hit them with uh, something they're strong against or if you miss then you lose an extra turn and uh, if an enemy hit and the same thing goes for the enemies if the enemy hits you with a, a character's weakness they get a bonus turn and or same or a critical hit and as such when you play those games getting the maximum number of turns possible is uh, your goal most of the time is your goal every round. And uh, if you lose a turn or um, or use the wrong attack and hit an enemy with an element they're strong against, and in these games will have typically, oh shoot, between nine and a dozen different elemental attacks and, and attack types. And especially since Nocturne and Digital Devil Saga are fairly different, difficult turn-based RPGs, oh, things yeah. can go south mm-hmm. very quickly if you uh, if you use the wrong move or if an enemy gets a critical hit. Nocturne, the the older the older iterations of this system, uh, Nocturne, Digital Devil Saga in particular, really emphasize player preparedness and memorization. Um, you want to be you want to know the enemy's weaknesses. You want to be aware of the strengths and weaknesses of your own party. Um, in Nocturne, you have a fair degree of customization for for your uh, for the main character. It's not like super super. Uh, a and, little, some of it's a little RNG. And, and, and well, and, and for your party, it's insane because you're. I mean, you're basically collecting demon Pokemon, and you got to catch them all. Yeah, you got to catch them all, and you got to fuse them all. And in Nocturne, it's like this hideous blood sacrifice that I love. Um, but uh, uh, but basically, in in those games, especially where a single voided turn um can make or break the the battle you're on, and it's, it's sometimes it's just all down to the RNG. And but it's also something you can mitigate by being prepared for the fight ahead. Uh, the Persona games are a little more, at least for starting with three onward, they're a little more uh, user friendly iterations of that system. They you can basically, as long as you keep hitting enemy weaknesses in those games, you keep getting extra turns. Whereas in a uh, Nocturne, you will just there's you, eventually you run out of turns there's like a finite amount for that round that you'll eventually burn through yeah in in, in dds um each character can generate one extra turn so the maximum number of turns you can get in one round is six in persona you can keep getting uh, every time you hit an enemy with a weakness or a critical they enter a down state and you can uh keep getting as long as uh you're keep knocking enemies from upright to down you can get turns over and over until the entire enemy field is down at which point you get to use a finishing move called an all-out attack, which are which are amazingly satisfying. To oh pull yeah. Mm-hmm. So so for Persona three and four, you're trying to knock enemies down with their weaknesses and get the all-out attack. In DDS, you're trying to maximize your own turns and hopefully don't miss, um, or uh, or get blocked because then I mean one missed attack could mean a party wipe the next turn. <laughs> and uh, in, in general, Persona the Persona games are much more forgiving. They put more. Uh, more options and more power into the hands of players, and less uh, and less opportunity for random chance. But um, Nocturne is famously unforgiving that way. DDS is a little bit in between since you have more control over what your party can do, and uh, and as, I I, th- I I don't know. I think DDS's ter- um, version of the press turn is a little bit friendlier than the than Nocturne's version. I think I haven't played a lot of Nocturne. 
Um, yeah, it, DDS is a bit is a bit friendlier. It's still pretty challenging. It's it's okay. definitely it's cut from the same cloth as Nocturne, but um, your party members have a lot of. I I think it has a bit more to do with just the way um they implement devour skills and uh, the uh, mantra system. You're able to build resistances a lot more easily. Whereas in Nocturne, building uh, the demi fiend to a level where he can and and being prepared and swapping out your magatama is a much there's a much higher emphasis on on uh on basically uh learning from your mistakes um so you're going to go into a fight you're going to get your butt kicked and then you're going to come back with the right party build and just completely mop the floor with whatever just killed you and in, in general mm-hmm. i think uh i, I again i have i have not played smt4 i have played persona 5 persona 5 basically takes the system from Persona three and four adds a couple more weakness setups and uh, allows and gives the player even more tricks. There's a there's gun attacks that allow you to automatically knock knock down enemies. Confidant mm-hmm. abilities uh, and and demon negotiation comes back. That allows you to you know bribe enemies away if if they're the last if they're the last one remaining. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the combat of SMT games of the past 15-ish years. I think Nocturne was 0203, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think it was 0304, because we, okay. got, we got 2004. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, and the the older Persona and SMT games, I mean, I'm, I'm very familiar with Persona 1 and the Persona 2 duology. That's a much more uh, traditional turn-based system. You do see what uh, who the, gets the next few turns. A little bit like FF10. And in Persona 2, you can have people... Uh, like delay their turns so that you can try to get combination attacks because in, in Persona 2 a lot of the strongest attacks are uh, have these three characters do these three specific moves in order or like one uses a sword move then one uses a fire move and instead of having those two moves you'll get uh, th- there'll be there'll be a combination fire sword move um, things of that nature but really it's that press turn with um, from SMT3 onwards that went really interesting places but uh Building off of uh, that Persona 2 comment I, I just made, I really like it when you get to combine character attacks. It's it's always satisfying to me. Um, the, the I mean, the Ur example of this is Chrono Trigger. Uh, every character other than Magus has 15 dual techs and at least 6 triple techs, where you get to combine character attacks for, more, for flashier attacks. And Chrono Trigger is helped by a really good battle UI where you see everybody's uh, menu at the same time, and you can go between the uh, each character's screen by with just one button press. Um uh, and we have a couple of other examples listed here. Do any of you guys have a uh, have a favorite sort of combining ability uh RPG battle system? For me, I think Chrono Trigger is the typical one I've done as well. I, I haven't played many since then. I mean, there's definitely the nice change about it is that you can definitely get games where you can synergize skills and you can see how one character will play off another if you you know use x ability in this one afterwards but when the two when it's dependent on what party members makeup you have to get these different special attacks that can uh you know when you have frog and marl combined to get even better healing or ayla and chrono together to get this like really awesome every enemy hit attack kind of thing it's it just makes um, those relationships between the characters and their fighting styles matter more Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in, in Chrono Trigger, I think it's pretty special in that almost every character has a bunch of these combination moves. Where in in games like Persona Two, it's more dependent on the different attacks characters have. 
And in Chrono Cross, there are some dual attacks, but there aren't nearly as many as Chrono Trigger. And that game has <laughs> that game has, Jesus, what like forty characters for uh, a character count in the in the forties. So it's it's not always it's not always easy to figure out what characters have those combination attacks. Um, recently, Dragon Quest Eleven does a pretty good version of it. Uh, every oh, really? char- yeah, every character has yeah. a bunch of, has a bunch of uh, pep powers, and sometimes that and uh, a pep status is easy to reach. So you'll discover a, a few dozen combination attacks basically by accident, and you can find out how to a- execute them in a menu once you've unlocked one, or once you, once you have the skills to perform one. Um, I dabbled a bit with Lost Sphere, I believe it was, uh, and it kind of harkens back to that system as well a little bit with, um, again, certain allies will work together to execute attacks. I mean, even the demo version of it, they um, quite... Uh, are quite unapologetic in showing cross slash off essentially chrono and frog's okay. signature move. X, yep, X slash. I, I think any slash, game, thank you. any game that has one of these has to have an X slash. In, uh, in, in Dragon in Dragon Quest Eleven, um, unusually, it's uh, I think a couple characters can do it. Um, the 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 one that you see in the story is from Silvando and the eighth character. But there's yeah, it, the, the, that game is a cross slash too. The uh, oh, I didn't play I didn't play Lost Sphere, but I did play I Am Satsuna, which and both those guys do wear their Chrono Trigger influence on their sleeve. Um, I think a big problem with Satsuna is that um, there are inc- there are far too many texts and dual texts. Like they interest oh, really? they in Satsuna they really really emphasize it, but it gets to the point where there are so many combination attacks that aren't noticeably different from one another that they stop being impressive, and it's gotcha. And it's, and there's a again there's a, there's some and the leveling system in Setsuna was also really weird. Um, uh, it, it wasn't a bad system by any means, but it was it's one of those things where it's good because Chrono Trigger did it, not like it's good in its own merits. Um, was it the same way in terms of discovering them too? Like where well, it depended on who you're using in battle or together? You had to equip basically Setsuna's version of Materia um, to learn certain certain texts, but. Um, like, like every piece, every ability, every piece of equipment, and whatever would have these add-ons. Yeah, it's been a while since I played this game, and I don't remember most of it. But um, but basically, but but it doesn't take long at all for you to unlock that to you to unlock the texts that come with those that gear. And by the time you're done, you'll have like this super long list of like different combinations that, again, like they're not appreciably. Most of them aren't appreciably different. You get like the Setsuna version of Luminaire, the Setsuna version of Cross Slash, and so on ah. and so forth. Uh, uh, that's, that's disappointing. Yeah, too much of a, of a good thing. Well, Hopefully, they can continue to iterate. Yeah. I'm not sure Lost Fear did much or not. The I, the the, the, the Suikoden games do a pretty good version of these, but there, there's not quite as many. They don't really define gameplay the way they do in Chrono Trigger, but. Uh, like um like the um t- the two main characters or I should I should say the three main characters of Suikoden two each have a each have dual texts that are very nice to unlock. Um, there's every Suikoden game has I I forget what it's called I think it's like a beautiful men attack where three characters that are sort of considered handsome if you have them attack in succession they do a they do a a pretty boy uh sword attack or something. <laughs> I I forget exactly how I I know that uh, um uh, Victor's one uh, no Flick is one of the. Uh, is one of the heroes that doesn't speak it in one, but it, it's. I think it's really satisfying whenever they, this is in a game. Uh, again, Chrono Trigger is is my, my all time favorite RPG, and 
if, if it's if it seems efficient, like if the dual attack feels better than two separate single attacks, then I always like seeing these. I can't get past Frog Squash in Chrono Trigger. It is my favorite tech ever to see a gigantic frog just squash enemies. <laughs> so, so, so that is so, probably so one just... of the most satisfying things that I've seen in gaming so, ever, as so like step, a 16 year old. Step one, never heal frog ever. Get his health way yep. down there. And uh, step, step two, once he's down to around lower than 10% HP, just frog squash all day, baby. Yep. Maybe throw good, a gold satisfying factory. Maybe yeah, throw a strategy. gold stud on him so you so uh, you don't have to huff ethers every single battle. Maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, with like Divinity uh, Original Sin and Divinity Two Original Sin the Seconding. Uh, I can't remember what the second one's called. <laughs> How it works, but you can combine spells and abilities with the environments in a lot of meaningful ways. So it's not quite like a dual tech no, it's, so it's... to speak. Um, but it it's a, it's very tactical in terms of like combining abilities it's, in a um, similar way. I don't know. I I know it's it's not dual techs. I mean a, a dual tech is sort of no. is combining powers for a simultaneous attack. Um in Divinity, in Divinity Original Sin and Divinity 2, it's more spell interaction and environmental interaction. One mage throws out oil, the other mage ignites the oil into fire. Um, the, a game I'm playing right now, actually, uh, Shadows Awakening, does a thing, uh, to just to go briefly into what that game is about, you're a demon called a devourer, and you, uh, and you consume the souls of, of, of warriors to basically make those warriors into your puppets. And, uh, that and, legit. Yeah, and the, the, you, the devourer, can only interact in this shadow dimension, and you need to have puppets interact in the mortal world. So basically, you're you're consuming the souls of warriors, and you use them like Pokemon, where you uh, where you have a party of warriors and you switch between them. And by rapidly switching between different characters, you can do all kinds of spell interactions. Like again, one rogue throws an oil oil grenade, then you switch to a fire mage to ignite the oil. And there's dozens of interactions between that because in in Shadows Awakening, you're rapidly switching between what what puppet is controlling your mortal form all the time. It's a. Uh, it, it's weird. It, like, the game would feel like an action RPG, like a Diablo, a Diablo or a Sacred. But you're switching between characters so quickly, like like Trine or something, that it feels. It adds an inter- a spell interactivity, that's really satisfying. But um, Shadows Awakening is a single player game, and Divinity probably shines brighter than ever in multiplayer, where you can have mm. uh, where 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 one where if you coordinate as a team. You can uh, have all kinds of crazy spell interactions like that. And then now that I'm thinking about it, um, uh, the Dragon Age games do a very good job of that too. Like a lot of, you know, um, mage freezes, warrior smashes kind of interaction is really, really key in that game. And uh, when when you can build a combo like that, uh, but with spell interactivity or envir- or interactivity with the environment, it feels really satisfying. <laughs> um, it feels like you've hacked the game somehow. So, okay, I think we've come to the conclusion that we all like it when a game has characters combine their powers, whether it's in, you know, simultaneous attacks or environmental attacks. But, uh... Captain Planet! Uh, you know what, uh, uh, Trent, this is slightly racist of us in the in the United States, but there was never an Australian teammate in the Captain Planet TV show. Isn't that unfair? Really? No, it was Not, every... Abs, ab- Every Absolutely continent, unfair. every continent except for Australia. I'm, I'm, I'm offended for you, frankly. That's fair. You can continue to be offended for me. Right. I find that to be an absolute um, 
travesty. That's uh, that's yeah. a that's a rough one. Yeah, they, I, I mean, they a- they absolutely should have added an Australian teenager that uh, you know, um, that that sounds like uh, Steve Irwin with the power of lightning or something. But we never got that. Oh man. That'd maybe maybe Gaia was from Australia. <laughs> no, well, Gaia was voiced by Whitney by Whoopi Goldberg, who is a New Yorker to the core. I'm afraid. Oh man, I forgot she voiced that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah there's a lot of famous people: Ed Asner and uh, Lavar Burton. Um, a lot of famous uh, people yeah. in that show. But powers combined made things happen. Yep. So uh, that was the sad, reference but, there. <laughs> yeah, but but sadly, uh, Captain Planet never got their Green Ranger sixth character to, uh, to from Australia to you know for Trent to properly represent. But complete alas, the, alas, the set. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, maybe <sighs> maybe when they inevitably remake that for Netflix. <laughs> yeah, right. Man. So what do you got next yeah. for us on the, on the RPG okay. battle schedule? Right. Well, um, we've touched into a couple of these, but. You wanted to talk about uh, combat systems. How about strategy RPGs? Am I right? Yes. How much do you so, like squares? I like squares. Uh, love them. A lot. Partial well, to that particular shape. Squares are ergonomically pleasing. I mean, well, I started they're... like playing chess in grade four, and from then on, seeing games like Ogre Battle and, or sorry, I guess Tactics Ogre and Final Fantasy Tactics, I was just like, I get this. I want that. I want to play that. Absolutely, yeah, I, mean, I had I mean, a very similar experience when I was younger. They're rhombuses yeah. and they're rectangles. I mean, who who's who doesn't love squares? But <laughs> but uh, but anyway, um, games like Final Fantasy Tactics, Disgaea, Fire Emblem, uh, Tactics Ogre, Vandal Hearts, Vandal Hearts. Well, we're only talking about good games, so yeah. <laughs> rude. What about Vanguard Bandits? I've never played Vanguard Bandits. Um, how about how about uh, um, how about Sayuki Journey West for PlayStation One? That's a that, that's a forgotten uh, grid-based battle system. Uh, Onimusha Tactics or whatever was another one, I think. Yeah, Onimusha. Yeah, Onimusha did have a tactics game. I I, I assume that one was Squares. There's also a Suikoden Tactics. There was a, the second of oh, the two there. the second of the two South Park games is on a grid. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. the, many many RPGs like having action take place across uh, squares with a variety of geography and geometry across them. Yeah. Some of, some of them are very flat planes, like uh, like Fire Emblem. Some of them have uh, elevation as a major factor, like uh, like Final Fantasy Tactics and Tactics Ogre. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and, and Battle Hearts, I think, had that too. Yeah, and uh, um, secretly the, uh, the the Game Boy Advance Tactics Ogre is really really good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that uh, I, I really like. That. I heard I that actually. It was one of the best versions of it, and I've always wanted. I wish I could track it down. It's very good. I don't know. I, I haven't played that much Ogre Battle or Tactics Ogre, so I believe the big reveal at the end of the GBA game is that the main character changes his name and becomes a major character of uh, of Ogre Battle or Tactics Ogre. One of those two. That, that that's the secret of it. This is it's the backstory to a major character in, from a different game and. and mm. Night of Lotus is a prequel. I don't know enough about the story to even. I don't remember the, enough, enough the story to even know which character it is. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Night of Lotus is a very good, very underrated GBA tactics game that I think is better than FF Tact- Tactics Advance. But anyway, um, a lot of these games, uh, basically, they're they're basically all turn-based systems. Um, a couple of them. Like uh, most of them will have characters move individually. In Fire Emblem, they all move in a single round uh, at the player's discretion. Um, in Final Fantasy Tactics, it's all based on individual characters and villains' speed stats, and they use that clock tick system that I referred to earlier. In Disgaea, it's really weird. You uh, have ten characters on the screen at once. You can have any number of them. You can have 
you basically have all of them plan their attacks, or however many you want plan their attacks. Then you press an execute button, and all of the characters that you told to attack will attack back to back to back. And then you can you you can you know have every oh, all yeah. ten you can have all ten move at hmm. once, or you can have each ten each of the ten moves separately, and you press the execute button ten, uh, ten times. But uh, but having characters basically wail on a single target will give you a lot of damage bonuses and efficacy bonuses. So having as many act as possible with a single execution is uh, is very valuable. Uh, well, Ogre so, Battle, they move in squads, and it's not quite on a correct. grid system. It's over the map, and then the battle itself kind of happens in a grid. But again, you don't have tactical control yeah, then, in the and, battle itself. And, 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 it's and just all, the arrangement of your units, that's the tactics. Yeah, but also on the map is not really a turn-based tactical system. It's almost, it, moves in no. real, it moves in real time. But the tactics yeah. Ogre games behave just like FF Tactics with individual yes. characters moving separately. Correct. And they, and the uh, the quest team, uh, I, I, quest is the name of the company that made Tactics Ogre and Ogre Battle was absorbed into Square in the '90s, and then they went on to make Final Fantasy Tactics, Vagrant Story, and Final Fantasy XII, among a few other things. I think. Uh, Rich, um, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So they. So that. So FF Tactics is uh, has its roots in in Tactics Ogre, and sometimes Tactics Ogre is even called. Like sort of a proto Final Fantasy Tactics by fans, which is a, a very fair. Oh, you know, it's a very fair comparison. Mm, absolutely. Um, so uh, I've just went on a mini rant on some, several grid-based games that I've played. Uh, uh, Trent, do you have a particular favorite or a, a, a standout tactic or a standout feature of these grid-based systems? Uh, I mean, I have a standout. I mean, I I've played Final Fantasy Tactics, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, and Final Fantasy Tactics Advance Two. So like, I I. That's mainly my dip pool in that particular genre. I've, I I've, not, I've not played. I've not played a two, but I do remember Russo having a, a cameo in uh, in Tactics Advance War. Of the, I'm sorry, Tactics War of the Lions. That was oh soon. really? Yeah, he does. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, Final Fantasy Tactics A two is just a expanded, uh, more robust uh, version of uh, Tactics Advance. The story, however, is is lacking. I guess you would say um, it. it I, I like the whimsical story that uh, that Advance presents um, with Marsh and his group of and his group of, of uh, comrades uh, trying to gallivant and kind of realizing that that well, I don't know. Can I spoil a game that's like ten to ten to twelve years old? Is that? Oh, is well, that I mean, I mean, you don't have to spoil all of it. I mean, I mean, basically, basically, they. Uh, I mean, it's correct me if I'm yeah. oversimplifying it. They. Uh, uh, they they find a book that allows them to sort of be transfor- uh, transported, transported to a... into a into a Final Fantasy themed world, and yeah. uh, so, some characters are enjoy uh, like it and want to stay in that world, and some characters want to reach the real world, and that that's part of the interpersonal conflict the, of the game. Yeah, the juxtaposition of conflict there, which is yeah. always fascinating. I personally thoroughly enjoy that story, but A two, I guess uh, A two is my favorite. I guess you would say strategy RPG in terms of customization and tactics. There's like something like over like 30 to 40 jobs, I think. Oh, yeah. In and, that. It, and it still has uh, yeah. the, the five different races of characters. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in fact, you have the ability to play as a, uh, I think there's a new race in there. Um, oh, okay. Banga. It's the, oh man, it's been a while since I've played it. So the details are not as fresh in my mind, but um, oh, it's a, it's essentially a... a race that dovetails into the Berserker class and a Berserker job. And, a couple of machinist related jobs i think um but essentially that is a like a wonderful as you were saying before uh greg uh like chess equivalent of of just pure tactics fun and and uh glory it's just really satisfying to uh 
essentially outwit and outthink your opponents and customize uh, and create ridiculous party combinations, whether it be just five monks, what sort of six monks, uh, theme your parties to race, theme your parties to class, the actual variability allows you to do so, and it's thoroughly enjoyable. But one uh, strategy RPG that we didn't touch upon in that uh, mini discussion oh. there was Radiant Historia. Ah, yes. Um, a game that I have played quite a bit of. I didn't finish it, but I did. Uh, I have my ups and downs with that battle system. I think that uh, the actual pace of it is a little slow for my liking, but the actual grid placement and the abilities that you get to basically knock people to uh, forwards and backwards and all across uh, the grid that it presents. Um, I think it's a three-tier grid, I want to say, a, a, yeah, a front, it's, middle, it's, back. Yeah, it's a three-by-three three grid, like, like, a Mega yeah, Man three boss, three. like a Mega Man boss select screen. And, yeah. um, I think by the end of the game, when I had most of the characters, my strategy every single battle was to have uh, the little girl character place a magic bomb, and then two char- the other two characters push and pull enemies until I could drag as many yeah. as I could into the magic bomb. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a very uh, sati- it, it was a very satisfying strategy. But it, there's a lot you can do in, in Radiant Historia. Yeah, and that's the the crux of it is that it gave you the options to be able to do so. Uh, and I thought that that was a a beautiful uh, hybrid of um, what uh, I guess you'd say like. Strategy RPGs like Tactics and Disgaea uh, allow you to do in expansive, like in expansive, uh, feature-rich kind of uh, battlefields into this mini kind of distilled uh, positioning mini game that kind of gets to the bare bones essentials of what those that genre has to offer. And I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the the ten to fifteen to twenty hours that I played of it. Yeah, and in terms of strategy RPGs, it's up there with with um, Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy Tactics Advance and um, Advance too for me. I haven't played Disgaea. I've heard it's very very number heavy and that you can ascend to almost untold levels of power more than any other it's... game in, in that I've heard of in discussion. And well, memory. It, it's it's insane. Um... Eventually, the, the, okay. the damage numbers that you deal become so high that instead of displaying the full number, it'll add a K at the end to indicate thousands, and then an M at Whoa. the end to indicate millions of damage. Okay. Um, uh, you can level up to 9,999, and then uh, at any point you can reincarnate back to level 1 for higher level 1 stats, and then level up again. Um, you can level up your oh, items. Man. You can level You can level up your own core stats inside of you in some of them. You can... Uh, you can uh, you know, bribe demon judges and demon senates to pass laws that let you level up even higher. Um, basically, Disgaea is uh, only a strategy game in appearance because it has the grid and it has that style of uh, combat. But re- but really, it's a game about exploiting those systems. It wants it even every I don't know every several cha- every couple chapters they give you a map where there's a bunch of enemies standing in an experience boost square just that's clearly just supposed to be a leveling map where oh, wow. um, break the game the RPG no it wants you to break the game and then it'll throw level 8000 bosses at you that you need to break the game in order to stand a chance against which is hmm. which is very fun for me as someone who loves watching numbers get incrementally larger but also hmm. it, um if you're really into strategy games for the strategy and you want those sort of chess matches instead of a game where you can build super mega characters and then reincarnate they reincarnate them to make them uber instead of mega characters uh then play Fire Emblem instead of Disgaea. Uh, Fire yeah. Emblem. Why I bounced off Disgaea? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I also I think the the story in Disgaea is pretty good in Disgaea one and two, and then gets sort of progressively worse with each game from there. I haven't I haven't uh, played Disgaea five, 
but Disgaea D2, the, uh, the the sequel game for PS3, I thought was uh, was very below average for what Disgaea is, so I haven't played a new one in a while. But um, hmm. on the other end of the spectrum of strategy RPGs is Fire Emblem, where the maximum level is, I believe, 20 in most of the Fire in the older games, and then perhaps 30 or 40 for later ones. You... Uh, uh, the, in Fire Emblem, you'll have multiple characters. Uh, your army can get as... Uh, I think most Fire Emblem games have you recruit more than 40 characters, but the most you'll have on screen at once is in the 15 to 20 range. Uh, and those games are really about... Instead of level... You can't really level up your characters most of the time because you're generally moving from chapter to chapter with a set number of enemies. But uh, But sort of building your army, managing experience, and trying to survive and put your army in the most advantageous positions possible is the strategy of Fire Emblem. Um, there's a weapon triangle and often also a magic triangle where uh, swords are strong against axes, axes are strong against lances, lances are strong against swords, and similar patterns for magic and unit types. Like uh, um, archer characters are good against... Um, are good against aerial units and characters with heavy weapons like halberds or uh, can deal extra damage to mounted units. There's a lot of mini systems in place and just creating as many advantages as possible and, and positioning your units around the grid and, uh, and you know, having your, your cavalry scout ahead, your infantry that deal more damage um, to soak up as many enemies as possible. There's a lot of tactical strategy in Fire Emblem that is unrelated to character customization and building super units. And that's the appeal mm. of Fire Emblem to a lot of people. Now, there are ways to make your units super powerful in Fire Emblem, especially later ones, basically from Sacred Stones onwards. Um, but it, it's a more pure strategy game than a Final Fantasy Tactics or a Disgaea. And, that's, and that also appeals to me to a degree. But I also I, I enjoy both the excess of, of Disgaea and the purity of Fire Emblem. I, I, can, I can go both ways. Um, I love um, Front Mission system especially in front mission i think three and four both did it but four is the one that's most freshest in my memory uh where it kind of has i guess now thinking back on it uh, a bit of a sort of dual tech kind of system because it's still your standard strategy game you've got giant fighting robots instead though and you're moving them around and you can customize their parts their weapons and the pilots themselves gain skills based on what kind of uh wands are they're piloting and what kind of weapons they use and as they unlock these skills that will trigger during certain conditions Sometimes um, if you, you can kind of put a enemy or sorry, a friendly unit behind you. So if your machine gunner is up close and the other guy still has action points, the sniper will get a sniper shot off that kind of works in tandem with the extra damage you're doing as well. So you can kind of combo your characters up that way. And I always liked that. And then it makes the whole, with the, especially with using firearms and missiles and stuff too, line of sight matters a lot. Very similar to like an XCOM enemy within uh, and such like that, having line of sight be a factor now with more modern weaponry, which is not as much an issue with a lot of like the traditional fantasy tactics games, where it's just get up, beat them down. It matters a bit with archers and maybe with lancers, but not so much else. And, and I like that extra element of strategy. And you want to talk about a game that has pilots and mecha, and a game that has pure strategy purity and anime over the top excess. I mean, shoot. I mean, we have. I mean, I'm amazed that I didn't even think about mentioning Super Robot Wars until now. I was just oh, yeah. thinking of that exact same thing. I'm like, I played that game when I was younger. Yeah, the <laughs> it, one about this over the top. Yep. Yeah, no, it's only a, a handful. A... Only a handful of them have come out in English, but there are dozens of them in in Japan. I know one of my friends uh, imported all of the PSP ones. But uh, they combine sort of uh, uh, units from several space, uh, several popular sort of space mecha series. Like, oh shoot, I, I know 
well, at least a couple of them have Gundam characters, Gunbuster yep. characters, Mazinger characters, mm-hmm. and Evangelion characters all in the same game. And combining the right pilot with the right mecha uh, conveys bonuses. There's all kinds of secret nonsense, and all the special attacks are, you know, fill the screen with missiles and lasers kind of nonsense. That's <laughs> very so. It's very and but it's also a very hardcore strategy game. There, um, the ones, the ones, the one that I played, and from uh, from anecdotal. Um, conversations with other people. Um, these are hardcore strategy games. They're very mm. challenging. They uh, sometimes you, sometimes there are maps that you just won't make it out of, and uh, and it's it's made for both hardcore strategy fans and hardcore mecha fans. That like when it, when it, when it all comes together, it's amazing. But it's probably harder and riskier than a typical Fire Emblem game, which is again, I mean, Fire Emblem's signature mechanic is that once a, di- a unit dies. It's permanently gone, and uh, so yeah, Super Robot Wars is even more extreme from an anime perspective, and more extreme from a strategy perspective. But Peter, and there's that other one. So yeah, uh, Peter, you've been a little quiet. Um, uh, You were just on a Fire Emblem episode with me a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, I was. So, so what do you like to get out of a out of a strategy RPG? Um, Do do you like the excess of Disgaea, the uh, purity of Fire Emblem, or somewhere in between, like a Final Fantasy Tactics? I kind of like it somewhere in between. Um, I'm not really too big into strategy RPGs. I like the idea of them, but uh, in execution, I find... Because I'm the kind of gamer who likes exploring worlds, so limiting my interaction to the game with... Uh, Do a chessboard? <laughs> explore, yeah, this, explore this chessboard. It's like, not quite my, my bag. But I do like strategy, I like strategy games, and I enjoy, uh, like, and I enjoy uh, the kind of the, the tactical elements of these games units just so and planning out i kind of like the political intrigue of games like final fantasy tactics and tactics ogre i find those stories to be fascinating and the gameplay suits those stories and i liked the fire emblems where i could get invested in the characters uh, and the world have you played ogre battle peter i have not played ogre battle no i i've only played um, i have let us cling together on my uh loaded up on my vita that's the only ogre battle i find is i don't know it's arguably a happy medium of those two in some regards because but it's not like as in depth as an interactive so it's not like you're wandering around you know firsthand like in like a skyrim or even top down like final any of the final fantasies exploring the map but you still have a big large map to explore where you can find hidden treasures you're liberating towns and all that sort of stuff and then you go into your more little tactical battle but again it's not like you're really controlling the battle so it's very different like i can't think of any other game though that really combines those two elements it rem- um ogre battle is a little uh, uh, peter um ogre battle is a little bit like bahamut lagoon in that you uh-huh. y- you build units together but instead of each unit being attached to a dragon each unit is sort of just a standalone thing and you it move around and that's it you, yeah you move around a world map um for every chapter that is not really a grid it's a but um, and you, ex- you can explore parts of the world map and you get bonuses for visiting certain areas at certain times but it's a it's it's a bit of a hybrid strategy game. Um, Tactics Ogre is very much in the vein of a Final Fantasy Tactics Ogre battle is kind of Bahamut Lagoon, kind of real time strategy like a Warcraft yeah. or almost or maybe even maybe like a Final Fantasy twelve Revenant Wings. But it, it's right. it's its own weird thing. I like. Let's um, not forget Heroes of Mana. Or is that the one that was the? Yes, Heroes of Mana is the <laughs> is the strategy flavored one. Uh, Children of Mana was the was the roguelike one and dawn of mana was the terrible one but they're kind of all kind of terrible all three were kind of terrible yeah, <laughs> so maybe don't play any of them 
from that when you're talking about that that mana debacle. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll get there. Mana, mana apocalypse. No, uh, we we did have an encounter of mana episode about uh, two years ago, which um, Derek, Rob, and I were on, which was a little sad when we talked about the attempted revival in the two thousands. I like the uh, I like the um, the look of Shadows of Valentia um, for three DS. That's the remake of Fire Emblem Gaiden. Mm-hmm. That I feel like that would be the kind of thing I'd get into. Um, but it's just uh-huh. it's too many games. I haven't um, played. I haven't played that. <laughs> I like Fire Emblem a lot, and I've played about half of them, but. Again, too many games. Um, I haven't played. I haven't played it myself. But has anyone here played uh, Project Cross Zone? Uh, I was going to bring that up. Oh, yeah, uh, the robot stuff. <laughs> anime as heck. Well, no, I mean it's not really anime. Well, yeah, it is anime, but it's really it's Namco and Capcom just going ham. Um, but you set up you set up your car- your teams in pairs, right? So Cosmos can team up with Dante, and it's great. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Okay, no that, arguments here. That sounds sick. That sounds great. Wait, more just mean anime in terms of like giant explosion abilities and combos out of the ridiculousness and yeah. Wait, Peter, do you mean this game stars Dante from the Devil May Cry series? I was, oh, I was really trying to say it is it features Dante from the Devil May Cry series. Wow. And also Ace Attorney, right? Um, you can have Phoenix Wright partner up with. He's uh, there's a lot a lot of Capcom people in those, and, we, and we're not just talking about you know the, Claire Redfield. Yeah, we're not just talking about the Capcom versus fighting games. One of them even has uh, Sega Tassanshiro from the old Sega Saturn commercials from the '90s. R.I.P. Oh, jeepers! No, no, he's no, he's still around. That's a uh, th- that guy. He's a he's a common writer actor, so of course I know oh, him. I know the actor's still around, but yeah. R.I.P. Sega Tassanshiro. Correct. Paris. Yes, he he died he died um, uh, blocking a missile from attacking Sega headquarters in the on the on the advent of the Dreamcast. <laughs> Th- those those commercials are amazing. Let me tell you. We shall never know his like again. Mm-hmm. Segata Sanshiro. Anyway, anyway, all right. If I'm singing the Segata Sanshiro song, maybe it's time to end the episode. Oh, wow. It's a um, good, good conversation, that's for sure. So, yeah. gentlemen, um, I can't help but notice that we've talked about almost exclusively turn-based battles in this in this episode. Like uh, we go in, we go into some action combat, like, but we've almost talked about turn-based battles exclusively in this episode. So, how do you feel about getting together for a part two? That's all about action combat at a later date. Sounds like a good idea. Okay. All right. So for for that action. All right. So we're going to put a pin in the in the episode in the episode's uh, main discussion for now. There's one last question I want to ask each of you before we sign off. Um, Hit it. In just the past couple years, what's a trend in battle systems that you particularly like or dislike? Uh, I'll I'll go first to give you guys a little bit of time to think. Um, Hmm. I, I I like that. there seems to be a, a movement away from long animations and more towards crispness. Like, uh, like uh, the, the action in uh, Dragon Quest XI and Persona Five is very fast moving, and they want to get you to the next encounter quickly. Even though both of those are turn-based battle systems, it's in two series that have always been turn-based, and they just happen to be two of my favorite series. So, like, I think that turn-based action is getting faster, and um. And designers are understanding that, and I think that's a very good trend. Um, do either of you want to volunteer a uh, a recent-ish trend that you like or dislike? I've been enjoying kind of like the throwback elements of it because there is something. I mean, uh, I do really enjoy the active time battle system of the turn-based um, RPGs. So I kind of like that. There's been a lot of games going back to it, but still trying to iterate on it in its own way and make it uh, not just 
a recreation of all those systems. But it is also nice seeing some of those more simpler systems in more complex or more higher fidelity games. Uh, and so I just have been enjoying that, uh, a la Battle Chasers Night War, for example, is the easiest one for me to talk about with that. Or, uh, I'm, let's see, um, Octopath Traveler is a very yeah. is a very throwback game mm-hmm. with yep. with, a, with throwback elements to its combat. A lot of and indie, of a lot of, in a lot of indie, yeah, a lot of indie RPGs like your, oh, I don't know, like your Dragon Fantasies or your Cosmic Star Heroines are very yep. much retro flavored, but with some modern ideas in their combat. Yeah, uh, Peter or Trent, do either of you have a uh, have a recent-ish trend that you um, think is worth note? It's just uh, fast-forward options. Oh, um, yeah. Some- <laughs> oh, yeah. These have been added right. to a lot of recent re-releases, and uh, it's a godsend. Like, um, in games like Bravely Default um, implemented it. Mm-hmm. Zodiac Age implemented it. The, the PS4 ports of uh, FF7 and FF9 implemented it. The, three, the 3DS that, port of FF8, ha- I'm sorry, of the 3DS port of Dragon Quest Eight has it, and it's awesome. Yeah, and when they inevitably put FF8 on PS4, it'll fix one of the biggest problems with that game. Um, it's like, uh, it's it's really, it really is. It's a big time saver. I think it's indicative of the fact that companies are willing to embrace their traditional conventions that their fans enjoy and remember fondly, but also uh, respect the player's time a, a bit more. It was a really nice addition in like Bravely Default, and or when you equip Diabolos and. Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> I think it might not have been in the original Bravely Default. Um, the one that the Western world got was an updated version of Bravely Bravely Default, and uh, and uh, like things like switching encounters off and on, and uh, the t- and the town that you rebuild during the game. Those were features of the Breath of Default sort of second iteration. Breath of Default. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, whoops. Okay. My bad. I just, I- Point that out. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I, I I misspeak so many times on these podcasts. Maybe I, maybe I maybe I've recorded too many podcasts the the past couple of years, but uh, and in uh, Bravely Second also implemented a lot of those extras. And um, again, they're they are welcome features bordering on godsends. Being able to fast forward during uh during um combat for turn based games. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, mm-hmm. or even outright skip it all together with the random encounters and such too. When you're just like, I just need to get to point A to point B. I'm over leveled, uh, you know that sort of thing. Which I also love when you contact an enemy encounter and it just auto destroys it when you're over leveled. Uh, oh yeah, or like when you're riding the horse in Dragon Quest uh, Eleven and you run, you can run through any enemy that's smaller than you. Is nice. Oh nice. Mm-hmm. Oh really? Yeah. That's- that's a rad little feature. That's nice. If there's a giant, big old dragon there, maybe you can't run through that. But uh, <laughs> for most of the enemies in the game, you can run. If you dash on your horse, you'll run over them. Oh, that's awesome. But you also run. I mean, both Rayleigh Default and Dragon Quest. You, if you don't get into enough battles to grind a little bit, you run the risk of being very underleveled for that next unmissable boss fight. So, uh, so Trent, um, um, what, what's a recent trend that you've noticed? Uh, I'm going to highlight two specific examples for the point that I wanted to bring up. Um, I love the idea that RPGs are evolving, and especially combat systems. They're taking elements of different genres and kind of melding them together. And I will highlight like Undertale and Deltarune as two key ah. examples of this, where um, we're kind of getting... I wouldn't necessarily say it's a renaissance, but we're kind of getting entries in the RPG sphere that kind of incorporate unique elements from other genres. And I'm specifically uh, counting the, the bullet hell genre mm-hmm. um, with Undertale's uh, kind of turn-based battle system. Yeah, bullet hell and that some, kind of... sometimes even the rhythm game genre. The under, Undertale's, yes. it's, it's, a, it's, it's very unique um, <laughs> methods of action. 
Absolutely. And I'm really excited to see a, a little more of that um, as the years go on and also what's already been produced. I think that uh, finding new ways to express combat in RPGs is an interesting thread that I think developers should continue because, I mean, we've seen turn-based uh, RPGs and action RPGs follow the keystones of core game design for years on end now. And I like to see, like, innovation in ways that is unexpected. And I think that those two games specifically highlight how you can do that. And yeah, it's something that I enjoy. Yeah, Delta Rune is a very, very new thing. That that sort of opening chapter of Delta Rune that I, I don't know if you want to Absolutely. call it. I don't know if you want to call it a full game or a demo or whatever. But no, that, that, it's that, a chapter one, but yeah. Yeah, that, that came out just last month. And uh, and Undertale was a 2015 game. Um, I, I'm really mm -hmm. interested to see what the uh, how Undertale in influences the next generation because it was mm -hmm. a very popular game that fostered a very mm -hmm. big community quickly, and and a lot of the community are young people. So, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, just imagine the kind of indie RPGs we'll see five or six years from now for people that were rabid fans of Undertale. I, I think that's a very interesting future to think about the large majority of that community will not be as talented as Toby Fox, but no, I mean, but, but, but seeing how popular undertale is and how influential it likely will be, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's, I'm interested in looking at a post undertale world of indie RPGs. Yeah. That's, that's the, the key thing is that, yeah, the indie RPG sphere, I want to see keep on growing and expanding because that's where I kind of see innovation uh, in a widespread uh, net um, for different genres more often than not. And yeah, it's, as you say, a very interesting, interesting world to, to maybe come about. But yeah, that's my, uh, that's my singular point. All right. Thank you so much, Trent. And thank you so much, Peter and Greg, for joining us on this Battle System episode. And thank mm -hmm. you so much, listeners, for joining the four of us on, and jab about Battle Systems for more than 90 minutes. This, was, this one's long-ish, but I, I'll allow it because I thought we had some really good discussion in there. Um, so, again, I think I do want to do a part two of this. I think we're going to do, have one focused on action com RPGs and action combat uh, in 2019 sometime. I don't know exactly when because, I mean, we basically planned that in the middle of recording this. So there's it, the planning hasn't even occurred yet. But uh, I think that we've done enough for today, gentlemen. How about you? Agreed. I would agree. All right. I'll take those semi-committal mutters as... <laughs> um, listeners, uh, next week we are capping off 2018 with a year in review episode. Uh, we have not recorded it yet, so I don't know how it's gone yet. And um, following the year in review, we are in 2019. And so far in 2019, we know that Kingdom Hearts will be the game journal for that month. So please expect two Kingdom Hearts episodes in the, oh, in the month so of great. January. Uh, so, Peter, so great. Peter, I, I think I think you and I both will have to be on those episodes. I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm looking forward. I'm look very much looking forward to it. And um, we have some retro encounter ideas floating around for January and February, but they all, other than Kingdom Hearts, they aren't quite nailed down yet. So I'm not I'm not going to say anything for sure beyond Kingdom Hearts one. Um, but listeners, if you want to email us and ask us about the games we're playing next or anything at all, please email retro at rpgfan.com. That is the easiest way to reach us directly. You can also comment on RPG Fan's message boards, visit the Facebook page, visit the RPG Fan Discord, look at our uh, Twitch streaming schedule, which is on the front page of RPG Fan. We also have Instagram and Twitter and all kinds of things. All of those are on the RPG Fan front page. Um, there are two other fine podcasts that we uh, also host on rpgfan.com. Greg, you were heavily involved with one of them as a co-host of Random Encounter. And, sure am. Uh, and Rhythm Encounter is 
uh, currently on hiatus, but uh, they're you know we know it's popular. We're we're, uh, we're listening to the cries to bring to bring Rhythm Encounter back, and uh, I don't know. We'll um. We'll see what happens with Rhythm Encounter. Don't don't. It's very don't, high on my list of things to do. Yeah, um, I me too. I, I've tried to revive Rhythm Encounter with Marcos multiple times the past year or two. But we'll uh, we'll see what happens with Rhythm Encounter. I do not call it dead yet. Uh, but listeners, um, in, unless you're dead yet, uh, please review us on iTunes or Google Play or however you are listening to us. We value and love all feedback that is directed to us, and we read everything that is directed to us. And uh, let's see. Before we sign off for real, um, let's share our social media presences. Um, Peter, how can oh. listeners reach you? Uh, if listeners want to reach me, they can find me at I Have Fury on Twitter. Um, look for the blue-haired persona icon. I don't think that's ever going away. Um, and and uh, you can also email me, PeterT, at RPGFan.com with any news inquiries or just other other questions you may have. All right, Greg, how can listeners find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Greg Delmage, uh, on IMDb as Greg Delmage, uh, basically anywhere as Greg Delmage. And Trent, your turn. Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Arkodo17, that's A-R-K-O-D-O-17. All right, and you can find me on Twitter as at the Real Monsoon. I am Monsoon on the forums, Monsoon Mike on Discord, and I also have a second Twitter at Evoca for Dogs when I get a little weird. Or at least too weird for regular Twitter. Mostly it's Japanese superheroes. Summoning dogs. Not exactly. It's a, a scene in Persona 3. It's attached to his collar. It's an evoker for dogs. <laughs> but, uh, I you, did not know that. Yeah, you mentioned that you hadn't played Persona, so I, I didn't figure that was a reference you would get. But, uh, but, but when a dog joins your party, um, the dog does not shoot himself in the head. He gets his own special evoker for dogs. Oh, good. And it's amazing. Koromaru is a very good boy. Koromaru is he an is excellent a, boy. Koromaru is an amazing boy. He's a good, good party member. Hmm. I would suggest we do an episode all about RPG dogs, except we already did it two years ago. Boom. Mm. Or actually, <laughs> yeah, a year and a half ago. Whatever. Listeners, <laughs> thank you. Good night. Thank you. Thank you luck. very much. <laughs>